This is the Marketing Hero Podcast by ClearPivot, turning marketers into heroes. Welcome to the Marketing Hero Podcast. Did you know that we also have a newsletter? That's right, you can join today at clearpivot.com slash newsletter to get monthly emails with our best tips on topics like effective lead generation, creating content that attracts and connects with your prospects, and how to get started with inbound marketing. Sign up for the Marketing Hero newsletter at clearpivot.com slash newsletter for SaaS marketing insights that will move your metrics. Welcome back. I'm your marketing hero host, Maya Morgan-Wells. On today's episode, we've got Zach Winthy, Senior Technical Product Marketing Manager and Product Evangelist for Treasure Data. It's a customer data platform that aims to help businesses reclaim customer centricity by focusing on purposeful engagement. We'll dive into what that means and how CDPs deal with questions of data privacy and tightening regulations, along with some personal insights into Zach's career. And of course, his best advice for all you marketing heroes out there. Zach Winthy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, I want to start off with a question we like to ask all of our guests. What's your favorite part of your career and how did you figure that out? That's a great question. And, you know, I think... It took me a while to figure it out. Ultimately, I've had a variety of roles, but all of them came down to kind of two two dimensions. Dimension one is problem solving, taking weird, complex, challenging, you know, the big hairy problems that, that we as marketers face and kind of distilling them down. And then I think as the as that became, you know, kind of core to what I did, then the next part was storytelling. Um, everything I've done be it from a, you know, from a, a marketer, from a consultant, um, now as a product marketer, you know, all my job is telling stories, talking about, uh, you know, our, our brand and our positioning and our messaging and, you know, getting on stage or doing a podcast like this. But, you know, ultimately it's, it's, it's about, you know, sharing stories with, with other people. Uh, and that's definitely my favorite part. So as a product marketer, I'm really fascinated by this. You are really sitting in this this weird position between sales and product and you know engineers on one side and marketers on another side how do you come up with a story that effectively tackles all of the technical points of the products and then kind of marries that with the outward facing story that marketers might tell to customers for example i guess that's both of the things you just mentioned right because it's problem solving like how do i actually tell that story can you dive into that a little bit and how do you actually solve that yeah so i think you know the the first thing to do is understand what what problem you're solving, what pain might your consumers or your customers or your prospects be facing, right? And and more so, a lot of times, you know, I, th- I think people rush too quickly to a solution or to a feature to solve that. But I think the next step to really making that actually work is then to peel back the peel back the layers, if you will, peel back the onion, and and really look at what's the emotion behind it, right? Is this a you know, the, the the trouble that I'm facing with, am I stressed over it? Is it, how does it affect the person, right? Because whether you're in B2B, whether you're in B2C, ultimately we're dealing with people, right? And so what is the, what is the emotion that's tied to that? And then from there, now you have a, you, you have a kind of a roadmap of how do I want to talk about this, right? Because if they're stressed by it and you're talking in a very happy and bubbly fashion, it's probably going to be, there's going to be a disconnect. And, and so your message isn't, isn't going to work. 
right? But at the same time, if you've got somebody who's very excited about the future and this new product and whatever, you want to match that. So matching kind of tone and pitch and, you know, and, and just emotion, um, you know, is key. And so a lot of that comes from customer research, um, talking to customers. One of my favorite things to do is, is go to trade shows and events and just get out and talk to our prospects and our, and our customers because there's nothing like getting 30 conversations in, you know, three or four hours to really dial in your messaging, dial in your conversation, you know, dial in your pitch, whatever, you know, and you're hearing a lot, you're learning a lot. So just that rapid kind of iteration is, is one of my, uh, is one of my favorite things. And then, then you've got to go through the motions, right? Then we've got to, okay, let's, let's look at our messaging framework. Let's put it into kind of a, a structure and put the work behind it. But I think it all starts with emotion and, and kind of understanding where your customers are coming from, from a feeling perspective. So how does that emotion and those personal conversations tie in with the idea of massive amounts of data, right? Because we're going to get into that today and talk about data. Are those two things working against each other, Zach? Actually, no, I think they can work. They can work really closely together because ultimately data is about understanding your customers. Understanding their emotions is about understanding your customers. So the idea is there are attributes about us that we can we can gather, uh, you know, as marketers, even geographic differences, right? Start with something really simple, where people are in the country. If it's November and you're in the north, it's probably a lot colder and you're dealing with winter, right? If you're in Florida, it's a lot different. So being able to understand what they might be doing at that point in time, you know, tying those, tying those little kind of personalization moments into, um, you know, into your messaging, into your social, into all of those things, you know, are important and it allows you to craft a better story, right? So the insights gives you that opportunity from the data to understand your customers, um, you know, from an attribute, from a behavior, from a next step, from a channel selection perspective, like, you know, where do they hang out? Where do they engage, right? So now if I'm, if, if 80% of my customers are coming from, you know, TikTok, let's say, right, there's a cadence and a tone that, that is, um, you know, inherent to TikTok, right? And so if you try to go on and not have, not, not follow kind of the, the predis, you know, the predetermined pattern that is, that is TikTok, you're going to have, again, a disconnect. You're going to have a, a, you know, it's not going to work. It's not going to resonate. And so being able to match research and quantitative data along with the kind of the qualitative and emotive side really allows you to talk to the whole customer and to the whole prospect. And I love what you said about remembering that we're dealing with people. I say that a lot as well um, and really coming from the perspective of providing value. And it sounds like having that quantitative and qualitative side of what you do really helps you to do that and reach that person as a human, right? Yeah. I actually am, I want to take a little tiny sidetrack right now because you mentioned TikTok and I did notice that you are on TikTok and I have been having conversations lately about you know, whether TikTok works for B2B, for example, and I don't know if you're using it specifically for your job right now, because I noticed there was kind of some thought leadership things that I saw, which were great, by the way. Let's talk about TikTok. We haven't actually talked directly about that on this show yet. So here's our opportunity. Why are you on TikTok, Zach, and do you use it for business? <laughs> you know, it's uh, I, well, thank you for even noticing that I have it, because I, I think I've, I've posted uh, two within the last week here. So uh, I'm definitely not an influencer by any by any stretch, but <laughs> you know I think I think there's an opportunity. One is I am in personally always in continuous learning mode, right? So I've been I've been in the market tech space for you know almost 15 years now, and I've seen the trends change, and I've seen 
platforms change. And if I want to be able to talk to marketers about what they're doing and what they're experiencing, I feel like I have to have some basis to, uh, you know, in, in some reality to base that off of. So one, it's kind of an experiment to get out there, to try it, to be able to create some content. Um, but yeah, my goal is, you know, to, to look at this from a business perspective, do some thought leadership, um, you know, kind of talk a little bit of mix about what I do, um, you know, in my role and ultimately, you know, yeah, that does feedback to what we do at treasure data and, and, you know, and talk to customers, but really my, my customers from a B2B perspective are marketers. And so being able to help marketers and, and talk to marketers and talk to sales professionals and whatnot, um, to help them level up some part of their career. Um, ultimately I think is, is benefits both, you know, me personally, uh, our brand and ultimately the, the marketer. So that's kind of where I, where I'm going with it. And it's, it's a work in progress. And so are you doing kind of short form advice in general about career? Are you doing dance trends? Like what kind of content are you doing on TikTok? I am not dancing. That is, I'm Aren't definitely <laughs> not doing the dance. No. Um, you know, so I, yeah, I'm going to do kind of short form. Um, so again, going back to one of my my superpowers is storytelling uh, is going back to kind of talking about the psychology of storytelling, how to, you know, frame a message, how to use, um, especially since, you know, consumers have a very, I don't know that they have a very short attention span, but I think they have very strong filters, right? So I think people have, are quick to dismiss um, content that's not relevant, content that's not interesting. And so talking about how to create, you know, a hook or a message that, that, that resonates. Uh, I spend a lot of time internally working with our our pre-sales org, right, doing demos and presentations, our sales team. And so a lot of that is around how to create a compelling presentation, how to create something that's interesting, that's memorable, right? Emotion is ultimately what drives memory. So being able to tie into those um, uh, those memorable moments. So that's kind of where where I'm where I'm starting, at least because I can I can probably talk about that nonstop for a while um, and, and and see. But uh, but yeah, who knows? It's 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 a work in progress, and I'm gonna. Uh, I keep, you know, kind of keep trying and, and testing, but I definitely think TikTok, um, you know, a year ago, I would have said, yeah, no, it's for kids. It, although I knew better, but at the time it was, I think mostly, but now there are a lot of B2B professionals who are, who are starting to drive a lot of content, some from humor, some from, you know, education, but I, I think it's just short form, short form in general, I think is a great, um, you know, addition to anybody's toolbox. Yes, and we've been hearing a lot lately about zero click content or no click content and just give the nuggets of the information on the platform that you're using and don't just bait and, you know, just don't use that as bait to click on your full form, you know, teaching or whatever it might be. So I'm experimenting with that and my stuff that I'm doing outside the podcast. Have you been experimenting with kind of that zero click idea? Um, I guess TikTok is kind of part of that because you're not going on there and saying, hey, click on this thing to get the full idea you're actually just giving the idea um and if you haven't seen zach's tiktok go and check it out because there's a story about how he used a plant to get his way um and so we'll have to have you guys go and search for that um i did the same thing actually zach a long long time ago i was trying to get my first professional writing gig and i did a similar thing with burritos so getting that hook in there is very important um I want to I want to just talk a little bit about that zero click idea. Have you been experimenting with that at all and how's it gone so far? Yeah, absolutely. We uh, you know, at, at Treasure Data, I mean, it was part of our content strategy is definitely pivoting more and more towards that. Um, you know, we we recently did a LinkedIn live I hosted a LinkedIn live um talking about kind of ways to implement a customer data platform without 
when, when you're when you're limited on resources, right? When you have a, a smaller team or people are kind of busy with other things, and so that was that was something that came out of uh, a conversation with with our sales team of like, hey, we'd love to have some content about that, and so we said, well, let's just do it. Let's not gate it. Let's let's put it up there and, and do it as a LinkedIn Live. Um, you know, I think it's it's a challenge sometimes for B two B companies because a lot of the content you know you put out maybe content you don't want your con your competitors to have or you know gets into kind of you know nda territory a little bit but i think there's so much content and so much just top of the funnel education um you know in in the category um why cdp for you know for us or just why you know trends we're seeing i think there's so much opportunity to just build rapport with with listeners with audience with readers, you know, whatever that may be, that uh, uh, I think zero click makes sense, right? We, we, again, our filters are so high that we're not, we know what happens when we fill out a form. And so we're going to avoid engaging with content, right? Even the most, the, the best content out there, I think, unfortunately, gets ignored a lot because there's that friction and there's that hurdle. And so, you know, testing the idea of opening some of that up, I think is is definitely worth is worth testing at least at, at, at a bare minimum. I mean, it seems like a good way at the very least to build brand awareness and at least, you know, some kind of positive feeling out there that your brand cares to share the information in the first place. Um, you mentioned CDP and I wanted to dive into that a bit because our listeners may or may not know much about what a customer data platform is. So talk to me like I'm a five-year-old and let me know what is CDP? Yeah. So a customer data platform at its core, at its promise, is about creating that 360 degree view of a customer, right? So we want to know who you are across all of our touch points, across all of our channels, across all of our, our interactions. And unfortunately, too often in, in, in MarTech, right, there's fragments. The email marketing system knows what emails you've read and what you've clicked on. The point of sale system knows what you've purchased. Um, Sometimes the SMS system knows what you you know what coupons you've you've downloaded and so forth, right? And then when you talk to an enterprise company with thousands of channels, global, potentially multiple brands, that that problem just becomes you know multiplied you know ten over. So the at a core, the customer data platform is about bringing all of those fragments of people together to create that single profile. So that I truly know who you are as an individual. Um, all the interaction you've had, all the all the touch points you've had, right? So when you call into a call center, they don't have to go, have you ever purchased anything from us before, right? Because we've all experienced that and it's absolutely frustrating, especially when you just got done making a purchase, right? So being able to humanize customers again, right? Create those connected customer experiences um, is ultimately what a, it, it, it's, it's the framework of what a CDP does, right? And then you can build off of that. You can drive insights, you can activate out to channels, you can make all of your systems smarter, but but it all starts with creating that that customer profile first. And how does that differ or how is it similar to a system like a CRM or even a marketing automation platform that's integrated with a CRM, for example, because some of those functions sound pretty similar to what you can do with those types of tools. So how does that comparison really play out? Yeah, so I think, you know, V1 of, of kind of CDPs before they were named, you know, CRMs kind of tried to take that, that, you know, that role around collecting data. But 
But really, if you think about it, especially on the B2B side, a CRM is really around managing a sales cycle. It's managing the steps and the process. It's, it's, it's more a tool to manage the sales operations, not the customer itself, right? The customer is just a data point in that, in that sales flow. Um, and if you've ever worked with CRM data, you've often found how messy and duplicative that data can be, right? There, there, there could yes. be three versions of a, of a lead and whatnot, because they're just not that built-in functionality where we, you know, some companies do it great. Some companies have, have, have solved the data deduplication problem, but really it's not inherently built into a, into a CRM. And then when you add in a marketing automation platform, right, it's great for, again, email, right? And I'm, I'm engaging, or maybe some, some downloads and forms. But what happens if, you know, if you go offline? Right, and you talk about somebody at an event and the engagement. You're not capturing. You might not be capturing the that that detail. Maybe you are. Maybe you aren't. Um, but when you add that to other systems like transactional or customer support and follow up, there tends to be a point where they're not integrated anymore, and there's fragmented customer data. So, at its core, the CDP sits at the middle and becomes the smart hub. We don't get rid of those systems, right? A CRM still has a function and manages that sales process. Marketing automation is for an email nurture, but can we make those systems smarter? Absolutely. Can we give information that happened, you know, in a service channel or a field service rep? Can we bring that back in so that the marketers are not targeting them, right? If you've got an open warranty complaint, you probably don't want new marketing right now. Just basic little, basic little understanding, um, you know, and then, and then on the consumer side, on the B2C side, most organizations are dealing with way too much data to be working in a in a CRM. Um, they're you know clickstream data, um, you know ad channels, all of that interaction data, all those touch points, all that behavioral data, it has to go somewhere. And if it's locked up in a tool like a Google Analytics, where it's not really attributed to any person, and you're only looking at an aggregate, you're missing out on a lot of insights into your customers. So it seems like just visualizing here that the CDP sits in the middle and you can integrate all of your other disparate systems to flow through it. And then can you trigger actions in those other systems from the CDP? Talk to me a little bit about the practicality of that and how, how the systems can be connected. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there's, there's a couple different ways we, we connect with those kind of systems. One is just the data sync, right? Now that we've pulled in all this data and we've refined it, we say, okay, well, what does that downstream system the marketing automation need now to be more effective, right? And so being able to look at if it didn't have transaction data in there, being able to put in purchase information. So now you can segment or build build your flows off of uh, having that, that information. Or maybe it's using more of an aggregate level data. So we, we create insights at the CDP level, right? Customer lifetime value, predictive customer lifetime value, start layering in machine learning on top of that. And now those become, we can build audiences as well. So we can say, okay, here's an audience that can just be pulled into the marketing automation and it, and it triggers a flow. So people who are highly likely to buy, but have not bought in the last six months, right? So those are high value, maybe low hanging fruit customers that you don't want to wander off um, or spent a lot of money, but haven't done anything in the last year, right? The lapsed audience. And so just being able to get access to some of those segments and those audiences, um, sometimes it's very hard for marketers. Uh, we find a lot of them are doing very manual data pulls in Excel, or they're asking their IT partner to run a report, and then they have to do it two or three times because they're not all kind of talking the same language. So just democratizing and making that data available to a marketer, 
um, is a big part of why CDP, CDPs have become so popular and kind of so indispensable. And where have they become super popular? What kind of companies are using CDPs right now? And we've talked a little bit around this so far, but I want to ask directly, what is using a CDP doing for those companies? I think you mentioned B2B and B2C separately, so we can kind of take that tack a little bit and talk in two streams there. Um, But yeah, I'm just curious about what kind of companies are using this technology. It seems that the more established enterprise companies would have a lot of work to do to integrate what they already have um, and kind of move everything into a new central hub. So I guess it's a lot of different questions at once, um, but I'm kind of getting at who are the best customers that need to be looking at this and what is it doing for them? Yeah, so um, so let's start with with who are the best customers. So, I, I mean, obviously, if you're if you're an SMB and you've got, you know, only an email channel and, and you know, a Shopify site and you've only got a couple things, the complexity may not be there. You may be able to manage it with and there's a lot of you know email tools that are adding basic kind of CDP capabilities or some basic you know integration capabilities and and it's great um, because because your need isn't there. But when you start to talk about an enterprise that has you know ten brands across the globe, right? Multiple multiple geographies, multiple business units and divisions, the complexity quickly outpaces what you can do within a within a point solution, right? And so then that's when a CDP becomes you know, more valuable because of just the sheer complexity of, of the, you know, of the data, like you said, right? Because there's so many different systems and integrations. Um, but from a, from a kind of an industry or from a, you know, who's using it, you know, I think B2C was kind of first to the game in, in that only because there was so much data and it was changing so often, right? So retail, if you think retail is a great example of, of, of a, you know, a customer base that was very interested in this because they have so much data loyalty system data, purchase data, in-store versus online shopping and, and understanding that. Um, and there wasn't a great place to put it, right? There wasn't that CRM or there wasn't those tools. So there was a there was a much bigger, you know, bigger gap. But even over the last couple of years, one of the things that have really, one of the categories that have really grown is like CPG, right? You know, because they don't generally own the relationship with their customers. They don't, they don't, they might have some channels to purchase, but a lot of that a lot of the the transaction is by their by their retail partners, their distribution partners, you know, their channel partners. But they realized, come the pandemic, all of a sudden, having you know having the end cap in a retail store or having primary sh- you know shelf placement meant very little because people weren't going in the store; uh, they right. were shopping online. And so, the whole way CPGs kind of went to market changed. Uh, and so they, they they figured out having having that first party data, having that customer profile closer and, and a better understanding of their customers was going to be vital to helping influence, um, even if they didn't own the purchase, influencing that, that, that purchase behavior, travel, hospitality, retail, all of those, you know, kind of similar, similar stories on the B2B side. Um, again, I think if you're, if you're a single kind of threaded organization, you have a CRM, you have a marketing automation, a lot of times that might work where, where B2B gets really, um, really interested in CDPs is what happens if you have three or four, five CRMs, right? You have you have three different business lines that all have different CRMs that all sell to similar customers. Well, now trying to tie those together, keep them separate, but understand, well, what is our customer, what is our like total addressable market as a holding company or as a brand looks like, not by business unit, by, by you know, our total, what is our total market? So being able to layer up and look at it at a, at a higher level, um, is very interesting for a lot of you know B two B companies, 
and and just solving that that complexity and then again multiply that by well now they've got teams in the US they've got teams in EMEA they've got teams in Australia all with different CRMs often with different sometimes with different email or point solutions different integration patterns different data that they collect something has to kind of broker all of that uh, connection and so you can either try and do it manually or you can put a, a system and a process in place that will um, that will broker that information you know across all those systems one thing that seems to pop out also is the length and complexity of the sales cycle when you were talking about retail or CPG even those sales cycles tend to be simpler you know am I gonna buy this dress or am I not going to buy this dress today right and so it's kind of like maybe I might receive that well-timed message the next morning it seems like that is a much more straightforward you know, shorter sales cycle that it seems a system like a CDP would really help to um, accelerate those purchases because it can automatically detect somebody's left this in their cart or somebody looked at this on social and then they looked at this on our Shopify site and then they looked at this again, you know, in an email that we had sent on a special on it. So they are ready to buy. Let me go ahead and send them one more message or let's get into our SMS or something like that. Do you feel like that plays into it at all where um, maybe the B2C world is a little has a little easier time or is it's simpler to use a CDP in an automated way, if that makes any sense, where when you are in a B2B, let's say your purchase is going to be in the millions of dollars for you know a contract yeah. that took six months to build, you know, is this the role of a CDP different in those two different contexts? Yeah, I mean, I think generally you're you're kind of spot on right so in the in the b2c it's more around you know influencing either that purchase or driving uh, a second purchase or just understanding you know kind of which customers should we focus on right because there's so many of them there's so much competition how do we you know how do we engage our audience properly and and, and whatnot on the b2b side a lot of it is much more about insights and understanding what's our what's our market you know, what's our opportunity? Um, you know, who's our influencer? And maybe when they leave, you know, company A and they go to company B, being able to understand that that, that is still a high value person, right? And then, and then you know, following them so that your sales team can, can engage. Um, you know, yeah, but typically on the B2B side, it's, it's, it's less around, you know, maybe in the moment stuff, though there are a lot of reasons, you know, we can, we can look at, um, you know, stitching data together. Who came to an event? Um, maybe we get the event list, right? We, we didn't, they come, didn't come to our booth, but they came to the event. They saw our messaging. Being able to bring that event list, attach it to your profile, you know, resolve it so that at least it becomes a history. It's not a lost um, opportunity. So you can start to look at that journey of the customer. Where did they go? Where you know what was first? What was second? What was third? Um, you know, is big on the B two B side. Is that understanding, um, which is often harder to gather than maybe on the individual consumer. So I want to talk a little bit about customer data and privacy, because this seems to be bringing together data points that we're already working with all the time. So it's not anything new. It's a different way of accessing and storing and categorizing it and using it. Um, but do you pay attention to all of the changing regulations around customer privacy and really the legitimate demand for some protection for consumers? Like me and you, you know, we don't necessarily want people knowing every move we make online um, all the time. And so how do you balance those considerations either within your own head, your own heart um, or within the business? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, privacy is a is a 
it's a big conversation at, at at Treasure Data. We spend a lot of time talking about it, both from a product perspective, um, but also just like you said, from a you know what's what's important. What do the customers want? Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean what do, what do the people who buy from us want, but what do their customers want? And I think you know it's an ever changing space, right? Privacy is is we know as consumers that our data is now valuable, right? We've kind of figured that out. People have woken up to this idea that, that you know, but we're also willing to give it out, right? Research shows and, and studies show, and it's repeated over that I'm willing to give up as a consumer, you know, personal information if I trust the brand and I know how it's being used and it, I feel like it's gonna benefit me, right? So if I'm ordering something online, I know I'm gonna have to give out my, my mailing address because you're gonna ship it to me. No big deal, there's no friction there. Um, but I might not want to give you my, my income range and how many people live in my household and, you know, all my preferences, because I don't know if I know what you're going to do with that. So I think, you know, transparency and trust starts at the brand level, but then from a product perspective, you know, one of the things that, that, that we've put into place from a, from a product perspective is governance and controls so that brands can do better. They want better tools to be able to manage, you know, so when an agency is working with the data, um, maybe that agency actually doesn't have access to PII, they can build audiences, they can build segments, they can target, use that for ad, you know, ad targeting, but they don't know who the people are underneath, right? So you, you, you limit the risk of exposing, you know, data, whether that's from a regulatory perspective or just from a good practices perspective. One of the worst marketing tools ever created um, from a privacy perspective was Microsoft Excel. Right, because we build we build reports and data and dashboards and lists in Excel, and we share them and we send them across an email. And if they have PII in them, so easy to pass along. It's so easy to share. CDP now puts it in a system that's logged, security control has governance. Right, so now now you know who's doing what with what, and you're able to control who has access to it. Right, and and maybe again you don't see all of the information. So. I think it's a balance, right? I think opening up and, and having the conversation around what we're doing with the data, how we're using the data, I think is important. I also think it allows brands an opportunity when they start collecting that first party data and using it, they don't have to have as many third party trackers. They don't have to have as many anonymous kind of scary looking, you know, tools out there. They're not really scary. They just seem scary because you don't know what it's doing, right? But being able to say, hey, I'm using your email to be able to send you advertising, you know, on, on our email channels. Uh, and also we're gonna upload it to Facebook because then I can I can target you, you know, with, with some advertising. If you don't want it, you can opt out here, right? Being able to, to have that conversation um, and not have to say, oh, we're using these 13 ad pixels because there's no way to really know who you are unless we triangulate across all of those ad pixels. It's a lot different of a conversation. And do you advise using that really plain, straightforward language? Like, hey, we're we're gonna use this to serve ads to you. I mean, it seems like people are kind of craving that. Like, don't treat me like an idiot. I know what you're gonna do with my information. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think regulation is going to force that hand a little bit, but at the same time, absolutely. I think the more brands can open up, um, you know, we kind of saw it with can spam and email. Like people are like, oh, I'm not gonna spam you. This is what I'm gonna, this is why I'm gonna send you emails. I think now we just have to do that at scale across all the channels, right? And and say, this is this is how we interact, you know? And and the more open brands become, I think the more trustworthy custom, customers ultimately will be, um, at least, you know, some of them. 
and more willing to give. So there'll be that exchange. You're, you're going to be willing to give information back and forth, right? Because you're like, oh, I trust what you're going to do with it. You've told me what you're doing and you follow through, which I think is a big part, right? That's the other part. Even straightforward language only means so much if you actually do it, right? So you have to say what you're going to do and then, and then do it, which happens again at, at a brand, you know, trust level. And is that what you mean by purposeful engagement? I noticed that the, you use that phrase quite often. Talk to me at the end of our interview here about how you use a CDP or data in general or anything we've talked about to create and deliver purposeful engagement. Yeah, so purposeful engagement is around the idea of, you know, let's not just spam our customers because we have their information, right? Let's say just because, you know, I buy from a single brand once a year, every year. Um, but I'm not going to buy in between, right? So just sending me messages every month because you're running a promotion probably isn't going to have any impact on me. And more than likely at some point in time, it'll frustrate me, right? And so I'll either opt out or I'll, I'll, I'll leave. So by, by using purposeful, it's, it's saying, what does the customer want? What channel do they engage on? How often do they engage? What kind of content do they engage with, right? If you're a multi-product retailer, for example, and they buy outdoor gear only, and if you're sending them housewares, like you, you're you're just creating that 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 friction and disconnect that they potentially um, uh, cause them to go somewhere else, right? So purposeful activation or purposeful engagement and, and is really around personalizing your content to actually what consumers' behaviors are, what they care about, how they the consent that they've told you that they're you know i want to receive this kind of content i want to receive it in this you know in this format so it's all about just meeting the customers where they're at and and you know, kind of respecting them not overburdening that's that customer-centric approach and being aware of the emotional connection i think that's such a great message zach that you shared with us today thank you for joining us on the marketing hero podcast thank you You've been listening to the Marketing Hero Podcast by ClearPivot. Be sure to join us next time. For more information, visit www.clearpivot.com.